0: Let's do it.
1: All right. Welcome back to Metastation uh, for our re-recording of our episode 402 podcast. Um, We had a little snafu the first time that we recorded this one with a Skype recorder, which decided it did not want the world to hear what we had to say. But screw the world. We're doing this anyway. Allie can't stop us. We should have known, Clara, because we had... had, problems last time. So, Allie, the singularity is out there and it doesn't want us to tell you the truth. Um, (laughs) So, I'm Erin. I am an English professor in Mississippi. And... um, I think, I can't remember last time, what was the little anecdote? Oh, last time I asked, uh, we said, what's the thing directly in front of you that you're looking at right now? And the thing that I am looking at directly in front of my face as we record is a picture of a raccoon wearing a brown suit.
2: (laughs) Uh, hi, I'm Claire. I am a writer in Portland, Oregon, um... And I am looking straight ahead at my shelf of board games, above which hangs a framed pair of paintings of Boris and Natasha. (laughs)
1: Excellent. And we have with us today a special guest co-host, the great and wonderful uh, Joe Garfine of the Dropship The 100 podcast, as well as Cancer Gets Lost. Joe, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us anything else that is important, including what you're looking at.
0: I mean, those are the two most important things. Thank you for the intro and for having me. My name is Joe, and I'm looking at, ironically, a book in my wife's office. Now, keep in mind, she's a forensic scientist. So the book is by someone named Clark, with an E, and it's called Justice and Science.
2: Woo! <laughs> 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 so prescient. Maybe this is what Allie is trying to silence. Allie doesn't want oh us to God. know what's in that book. <laughs> it's That's it. I would like to loan
0: this book to Raven and Monty.
1: Yes. Yes. I think they could use it. I mean, those are two topics that are definitely very relevant to what's happening in their (laughs) lives. This joint and this juncture in the show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, I think we are going to get started with Polis, right?
2: Yes. Polis. Yes.
0: What happens in Polis does not stay in Polis. What happens in Polis affects
2: everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think we started before we started where the episode started, which I think is a good place to start again, which is talking about our, our biggest new addition to the cast from this episode, which is Ilion and all of the kind of expansion of the grounder world in terms of the different clans and the sort of look at the city of light ramifications that his character brings with him. Um, I found that cold open. So heartbreaking. I mean, just yeah. like so, like I mean, it was in in a weird way. I was kind of like, oh, it's nice to see Allie again. Like just because I missed Erica, Sarah, <laughs> like not because I missed Allie, but I just Erica, Sarah is so great, you know. Um, but um, and it was and it was interesting to see, um, to see Allie interact with somebody who was like a stranger to us, you know. Um, but but man, that like, it 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 never it never stops making me feel sort of like sick and creeped out watching ally make people do terrible things to themselves like like the 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 disconnect between reality and her mind control like when you see that play out it's like it's always it just makes me feel so like it's like i know he's not gonna die i know he's like joining the cast but i was just like please don't cut your throat ellie and please don't do it please don't do it. <laughs> it was so freaky like it's just it's very the horror tropes in the whole ally storyline are are like on point I will say this.
0: I think that Chai, the actor, um, you know, I, I've seen his two last names. I think on Twitter he goes by Chai Hansen, but that's not his last name. He has amazing presence. Like, I actually yeah. think he fits right into the world of The Hundred. I also think it was essential to show the perspective of someone outside of Polis affected by the City of Light. And I think that there's no better way to show that than... The sacrifice of his family, and you understand the avenge moment, which is actually kind of cool and cinematic you you don't get a lot of that it's understood that there's a lot of people who want avenging for their families. we can get about get into Monty later um but I think that's that theme is important, and I really liked how how we were introduced to Ilian, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he integrates with this team, yeah no I
1: agree and i and I think that's one thing that um that I'm happy to see sort of returning that was missing, I think, a little bit in the storytelling in season three, which is, uh, there are a lot more moments in season three where where they, because, you know, like time constraints or whatever, they sort of like shorthanded, you know, like this happened and therefore for this person feels like this. So I do think it was, I agree with you, it was like really, really important for us to see that moment with Ilion, not just to understand Ilion, I think but also like through Ilion, like he gives us a kind of like face and individual that we can connect to and then like and like so he helps us understand why all those other grounders you know also are angry at Sky Crew like we kind of get a little bit of a, of a window into understanding the sort of like emotional logic that's in play there because otherwise it was just like last week there were people just like you know, Sky Crew, we're mad at Sky Crew. And it was kind of like, you know, okay, sure. Like, (laughs) I mean, we know, we know it wasn't really their fault, you know, so it like seems sort of odd. So I think this was like a really, really great way to kind of like kick off, like really kick off that storyline by giving us a sort of like, here is a sort of sample of the kinds of experiences that these people are reliving in their minds, you know, that happened to them as a result of Ali. And then also having her say Clark right before she disappeared, you know, to kind of like solidify the connection between not just technology, you know, so it's not just like that he has the chip, but also like this person, you know, Clark, who is representative of Sky Crew, sort of like making that line from Allie to Sky people, much, you know, kind of like more direct and textual. I thought that was like, that was really important.
2: I think having that, having our sort of, entry point character into kind of how, how did like regular Joe ordinary human being grounders kind of, how did they experience the city of light, you know, in a different way than the characters that we've been watching. I think it's really helpful to have that come from a character who is, whose life experience is so removed from any kind of concept of technology, you know, like yeah. there's, there's no lens in Illion's life to sort of properly contextualize what Ali is, How she controlled people, you know, like the 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 mom calls her a demon, and it's like that probably, like it probably does feel like that to most of these people because they don't understand, you know, they don't know how the flame work, they don't know about AIs or things like that. Um, so there's something kind of like ineffable and terrifying, I think, in in how they view this thing that happened to them, and and they can't separate it from, you know, like they didn't have technology, and then all of a sudden Sky Crew shows up, and then. You know, and then the next thing they know, this terrible thing happened. And um, and so I think having having it shown to us by somebody who's who's brand new, you know, who doesn't know these people, has never met them, has no positive experience with them, that total absence of any kind of comprehension of technology makes it feel like Sky Crew has brought with them this sort of, like, incomprehensibly, like, terrible force. And so it makes it make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and I also think, like, it's really important, too, that, you know, the setting that we get with Ilion, like, his his life, from what that little we've seen, looks so different even from the Grounder clans that we have known so far, you know, like, he's not, he's not, like, part of an army, you know, and he doesn't right. appear to be a warrior, particularly, like, he's living on a farm, you know, in this kind of, like, very, looks like very remote area, and um, and they've got sheep, <laughs> you know, which is kind of like the most peaceful of of uh, farm animals. Um, and so they're living in a, sort of like a very sort of like pastoral setting. It's kind of like it's, it's far removed from polis, from these kind of like, you know, quasi geopolitical warring faction clashes that we've been watching over the last few seasons. So I think that also kind of makes, that sort of drives home how, how shocking the violence that's happening is, you know, like, like this is a place where that kind of horrible violence doesn't happen or hasn't happened. You know, he's not like a warrior who's been on the battlefield and has like 50 kill marks on his back, you know, um, his family don't seem to be warriors particularly. So that just kind of like reinforces that, that, Ali and the Sky People, as far as he's concerned, have brought something new into his life that wasn't there before. Um, So, yeah. I also, I I I noticed this time when I was watching that his family, there's like an old junker broken down VW bus in the background um, of his family compound, which I just like, I had this moment of being like. It's like so hilariously like, oh, you guys were like hippies, you know? Your parents like lived on a, <laughs> on like a, a compound, like an anti-capitalist compound, and that's how you guys wound up surviving the nuclear apocalypse. And there's I mean, your hippie van.
0: It's a <laughs> dharma like- van.
2: If you guys watched Lost, you would know it's a dharma van. <laughs> okay, all right, dharma van, got it. <laughs> I do, I do feel like the idea that it's a hippie commune ties in nicely with the psychedelic butterflies like yes that is that actually would, that actually feels right and and that's also something um <laughs> you know we're we're clearly meant to associate the blue butterflies with Octavia even before Ilian and Octavia kind of meet and come into contact with each other and the episode ends i think sort of setting up what i'm interested in sort of what their kind of ongoing arc is together but um but it it was it was really interesting to me that that's kind of like you know, the intentional choice to make him from that clan and to have the butterfly be the first thing that we see, you know, landing on his mom's arm in that very, you know, sort of gruesome juxtaposition. So I'm, I'm really curious as to sort of where, um, you know, where the story lands with the butterflies as some kind of symbol for like Octavia's relationship with grounder culture and how that sort of ties like what, what the what the connection ends up being going forward between these two characters
1: yeah and i sort of wonder if like the butterfly isn't you know wasn't kind of there as a symbol of lost innocence you know because like yeah yeah, the yeah. butterflies in season one wasn't she went to see she was with adam right when they found those is yeah that right and it was like it was right before adam died you know and and that was kind of like the last the last moments of Octavia's sort of quasi-innocence, I guess. And so I think maybe it was just kind of there to sort of tie us, to like remind us, or is it kind of like emblem of like, of like Ilion kind of like losing his innocence in that way that, that Octavia did.
0: I have a much darker take on the butterfly if we'd like to hear it. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, to me, the, the reason that the butterfly is like that is because of radiation. And I think that mm-hmm. maybe that the butterflies are migrating elsewhere because of the radiation.
1: Oh, that is a really good up-
0: yeah.
1: Ooh, oh, yeah. Ooh.
0: Thank you. I'm done. I feel sorry. <laughs> Excellent. Unplug mic. Walk away. <laughs> I dropped the mic, but it's too expensive.
1: I was going to say, yeah, let's not, let's not drop it. Just, just gently unplug. <laughs> that would be cool. Like, I don't know. This is one of those things where it's like... It would be awesome, but, but perhaps budgetarily prohibitive, but like how cool would it be if we just started seeing like waves of animals, you know, like stampeding away from the radiation because yeah. that seems like a thing that, that yes. would happen. Yeah.
0: Like geese going north in the winter, you know. Or panthers or two-headed deers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Or, or panna. <laughs> oh my God. A panna stampede. That would be quite an episode.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Make it happen
2: they would have please, like four dollars left for the rest of the season but man that episode
0: so great
1: and then the rest of the season is just like the three people they can still afford to pay to act sitting in a blank room
2: <laughs> like in an extended jaha monologue for like 12 straight hours yeah <laughs> awesome uh, but yeah, no, I'm really, um, I'm really interested in Ilian. I'm really interested in, like you said, like the little glimpse into this completely different slice of ground or life. You know, I think one of the, um, one of the things that we, that Aaron and I talked about when we went back and, and re-looked at some of the season one episodes and we're podcasting about those, is just the way that like, um, you know, what we're what we're introduced to when we first meet grounder culture on any level you know our our picture of it is so narrow and so confined to to a degree that that tends to sort of fall into kind of like occasional like tropiness you know like it we we know only this tiny little sort of slice of their reality and then in season two you know we we expand that we meet Lexa we meet Indra we get like a bigger picture of kind of their um like political structure we learn more about the alliance um and then you know and and then in season three you know we go there we see polis um but we're still primarily experiencing everything through the lens of tree crew and Mm -hmm. um and the particularities the kind of like cultural specificity of tree crew and who they are um and and so it's interesting just to sort of like the more the, the show kind of pulls back and pulls back and pulls back and kind of widens the lens on who all of these 13 clans are. Well, I mean, it's 12 because we already know Sky Crew, but like, <laughs> like we get our first look at Ice Nation when we get our first look at Luna and Flow Crew, you know, like getting a little bit more context for um, just how disparate all of these clans are. You know, I think it's really helpful context for understanding... You know, both now for Roan and then the last two seasons for Lexa, all of the complexities in ruling a group with that much, like, with that many different kind of cultures contained in it, you know, like, what all those sort of challenges are of how do you like, how do you keep those people together? How do you, you know, like, in the absence of a big common enemy, like the mountain men, you know, or Escada, how do you keep those people on the same side, when you have, you know, this incredibly wide different range of, you know, people in communities. And so I think getting a little look at like, they're not all like, he's like, they're not all warriors, you know, like, his people are shepherds. I've heard rumblings, I think, from things the writers said on Twitter, that we're going to get a look at i think even more of the you know of the clans this season so i'm just really interested in like what you know how we expand our understanding of of their world you know
1: joe i remember you had an excellent uh, uh theory about the origins of the
0: uh that ambassador dude uh, Burning Man. Um, <laughs> I'm fairly certain he built a structure and then he moved
2: on. But like,
0: uh, you know, between the Dharma van in Ilians village and the look of the Trishana crew, I'm pretty sure that they, their people started Burning Man. And then mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. the world actually burned from Prim Faya, um, they modified it and became a clan.
2: I would totally buy completely that. Completely endorse this theory. I mean, because because yes. on the crew ambassador, like that is that is a look. Like he is, he yeah. is committed. <laughs> he is committed to that look. He's got a lot going on,
1: and that is a Burning Man look. I mean, like that's a guy. Oh, yeah. You know, the that's a guy who is from a long line of that started with like a trust fund baby. <laughs> yeah. Who went to Burning Man and had the best tent in the sharing economy <laughs> of the Burning Man,
0: whatever. <laughs> I'm sh- I bet he smells like patchouli. I bet he does. I bet an
2: entire clan smells like patchouli. I mean, I live in Portland. Like, I've definitely seen that guy's hair on the bus, you know? like Oh, yeah, like, for sure. I feel like I know that guy. My sister dated that guy. Yeah, oh oh my god, your sister totally did date he that did guy. Literally like did personality <laughs> included. <laughs> his name was what was his name? Troy? Troy. <laughs> Shout out to my sister's ex-fiance, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful. Oh my god. Oh. Yeah, like that that
1: is definitely a clan that, you know, like has like a large stash of Swedish underarm crystals and oh, yeah. oil.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and like what's what's so what's interesting about this, both in a in an amusing way and in a sad way, is like their sort of fundamental kind of you know pastoral hippiness makes it really um, interesting and sad to watch what looks potentially like it's becoming the process of. Um, at least Ilian, if not a large group of them, becoming sort of radicalized into violence or or into the desire for violence and vengeance um, because of the yeah. things that happened to them. You know, like the... Um, I, I think the ambassador clearly... He and Ilion seem to have very different motivations and agendas. Um, I think the extent to which he's kind of... Um, you know I, I manipulating him consciously or just or just has sort of i think a different goal in mind that he sort of has looped Ilion into but like he's he's looking at this sort of as a power play and i don't think illion you know illion isn't being in any way guided by like political ambition illion is like broken and hurting and grieving and comes from a culture where the way that you address that is by vengeance on the person who you know who did this thing to you um but but i I'm interested in you know the 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 rift I think between the Cheshana ambassador really targeting Rowan and Ilian's feelings really being more towards like Sky Crew and what Sky Crew did to him, you know, and um, so sort of like temporarily in you know aligned in common purpose, but in really different ways that I'm interested in sort of seeing like in the absence of the ambassador who is now mysteriously dead because quote his heart stopped.
1: <laughs> which, which sometimes <laughs> nice happens save when nice you're save. murdered,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a common he didn't lie, his heart did stop, it's the truth. It's a common (laughs) symptom of being stabbed in the ear by Octavia Blake. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute.
0: Winner, winner, skewer dinner.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, she really did shish kebab him. So, yeah, so I'm I'm really interested in, like, we're introduced to Ileon as sort of being kind of a, I guess, pawns are the right word because pawn sort of deprives him of any agency but like a um he's he's of use to this ambassador in his bigger brain plan. um and without the ambassador kind of where does zillion go next in terms of his sort of like revenge quest i'm really interested in
1: yeah me too um and i i don't really have any clear sense of where that might be
0: um I think it's interesting, the pairing of Octavia and Ilyan, given that they're both sort of avenging uh, yeah. for their family. And obviously Octavia considers Lincoln, and she should, her family. And she did kill Pike, but she's definitely on a mission. They have interesting chemistry. I don't necessarily think romantically, um, but mm-hmm. they're both badass. And I think that they... It's going to be very... I'm, I, I'm looking forward to seeing if anything evolves with those two in terms of if they team up together. Because like Rowan and like Lincoln... Ilian seems to have a, a conscience and um, he yeah. seems to have a heart
1: yeah I think you're right Yeah, and I think it's interesting too that they're both they both are you know after vengeance but like you pointed out you know the person who killed Lincoln is already dead and the like structure of power that that Pike represented and created that killed Lincoln is also dead you know so the thing that, that killed Lincoln the person and the sort of like situation is already gone um and and for Ilion i mean i think he you know he has a kind of it's, it's partly driven by his sort of like understandable but but mistaken understanding of of why the alley thing happened but the same kind of thing like he the the entity that's actually responsible for what happened to his family is Allie and she's gone, you know, and in any case, she's an AI. So, so I was kind of thinking about this in terms of that line from the trailer that Kane says to Octavia at some point, um, vengeance isn't justice. Um, And, and I think, you know, we, we, and Octavia says to me it is, but like, I think the interesting thing is that like, they're both in a situation where like there isn't anybody left for them to get justice from, you know, like there is no way for them to get justice in this situation because like the people, the, the ones who are directly responsible are gone and there's like no, you know, it's like court system, you know, like it was kind of funny when, when Clark said to Bellamy in the last episode, uh, she won't be charged. And I was like, charged by whom and by in what who? court? <laughs> like there is like, there's no justice system in place. It sounds like America.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, I know, I know.
1: Just give it a few years. Um, but, you know, so so they're both in a situation where they, like, they're, I think, and, and they both seem, like, similarly, like, kinds of people who have a really deep, innate sense of justice and right and wrong. You know, they're sort of driven by the sense that, like, there is something wrong with the world that needs to be fixed. Um, but there's no, like, system in place for to fix it. And there's no, there's no, like, actual specific person or thing that they can do to get justice from you know so i think i'm sort of interested in the way that that kind of like the kind of like inchoate feeling of like wrongness and having been wronged turns into this need for this kind of like undirected feeling of justice that winds up just kind of getting directed at whoever's around you know so like octavia winds up killing that that um uh ambassador and like that's not vengeance per se but it's being driven by those feelings you know so i I just think it's really interesting the way that these things kind of bleed together
2: yeah well and we we talked a little in the last um in the last episode sort of contrasting um you know clark abby on one side and jasper octavia on the other with like people who who address their grieving or try to sort of move through their gr- grieving by choosing death versus choosing life you know and yeah um and i feel like this is sort of continuing to reinforce that that is shaping up to be octavia's story you know is that right now yeah. like, she is in a place where she is sort of she's dealing with her feelings about lincoln's death by i don't know a, a, trying to, trying to assume some kind of control over death, you know, or something like that, you know, like using death as a tool, you know, and, um and in a way that I think, you know, her sort of ongoing journey towards like, who does that turn her into? Is that a person that Lincoln wanted her to be? um, And at what point? you know along the way and this arc does she sort of turn back around and realize maybe that that was not productive that wasn't a constructive way to deal with her grief what are the forces that sort of pull her in that direction i'm 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 interested in in the ilian arc partly because one of the things i'm really hopeful about with octavia's story is that the the sort of deciding factor that you know when inevitably when whatever happens happens that makes her kind of um you know, if she ends up rethinking these choices or making different choices or sort of seeing what she's doing a little bit more clearly, um, when that person isn't Bellamy, like her relationships with other people yeah. who aren't Bellamy, where we're not sort of walking back through character beats that we've repeated, you know, like, but her relationship with Indra, her relationship with Kane, her relationship as, as she becomes Skyrippa. And then she has a little bit of maybe the kind of one headed thing where she becomes like a political tool. And then she's interacting a lot with Rowan and Echo.
1: I really, really, really want her to talk to Luna again. Like uh, that is, that's yeah. a person. would be a really interesting foil
2: for her. Yeah, I know. I know Luna comes into the Arcadia storyline and I don't know where she interacts with Octavia, but that was such a, that was such a huge, um, you know, for only being in that one episode, so much happened in in that relationship and in that kind of connection between the two of them last season that I would love to see again. But I'm just interested in like, um, who are the people in Octavia's life besides her brother who, um, who are part of this journey and shape it in different ways. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really, I'm really interested in, um, in her, her with new and different and unusual people, her with other elements of grounder culture, besides the, the comparatively narrow slice of it that she's experienced with just tree crew, um, and kind of how that's all shapes her. So I'm really, I'm excited for kind of where, um, where she's headed. And also, you know, she looks amazing. <laughs> Dude, her her
0: her new hairdo is is on point as it was oh last season. God. Yeah, she's such a badass. I literally call it the the slide and slice. Yeah, yes, she
2: yes. <laughs> down. Yes. Oh
0: my yeah. god! I dig the upgrade for her on Clark this season in terms of outfit. We need to yes. get Raven a new Henley, and then we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yeah. Yeah. yes.
1: But yeah, like Octavia. I wrote this whole episode. I was like, damn, Octavia, girl, you can m- <laughs> murder me anytime because you look. Like- <laughs> Murder's Amazing. a really good look for her.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I and love whoever, it.
1: like, whatever hairdresser she found in Polis to give her that updo is like, you gotta keep that person because yeah. it looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost embarrassing how much I was like, it's okay. I'll, I'll forgive you anything because you just look so good.
0: <laughs> seriously that's a very busy salon they need to take clark they need to take clark
1: they need to take clark okay when all this is over octavia like when she calms down a little bit she and clark need to have a spa day
2: where they go to the
1: hairdresser i was i was
2: so i was like elated when i saw pictures of um eliza on instagram with her new like short sassy haircut a few months ago because i i was so convinced we were going to get like Short sassy curls for Clark, and I was so for it. And then I was like, <laughs> "God damn it!" <laughs> I mean, like maybe we still will. I don't know, but um, but I just feel like Clark with short sassy hair would be like totally adorable. It would be, <laughs> which
1: is of course your number one uh, priority when the world is going to end in six months. Exactly, to make sure that you look. You have to look cute. You- That's, I mean, the days you get to look cute are literally numbered, you know, like you have to, you have to look cute while you can, because before you die, there's definitely going to be some very uncute time.
0: So, you know, seize the cute. Oh, man. It's nice to be trivial, you know? Yeah, It is. It is. And you guys, we're not making light of the apocalypse, we're just having fun.
2: <laughs> it's gallows humor. <laughs> exactly. Very dark comedy.
1: Um, so Octavia I think was really, really fascinating this episode. Um, kind of like her relationship with Kane too, you know? Because yes. I I uh I I know that like Claire and I I think a lot of us when we when we saw the trailer for season four and based on like you know just just like the vague stuff that people say during promos like oh Octavia is gonna be an assassin you know she's a really badass she's really she's gone really dark you know all this kind of stuff and we were thinking like. We couldn't figure it out, you know. We were like, "Well, okay, well, we know that she walks out of that room in Polis, and then we we were thinking like she's gonna go off on like a walkabout, you know? She's gonna be like out there on her horse, like riding around and killing people. Apparently, we were like, we couldn't figure out like who she'd be killing on behalf of, and (laughs) it was was, we're sort of just like, okay, I guess she's gonna be out there and she's gonna kill for a while and she's gonna come back and." And I said to Claire on Twitter uh, the night that it aired, I was like, I've never been so happy to be wrong, to be so wrong about a prediction in my life. Because, like, I, I just, like, I really, I think it's really cool. I never would have predicted that she was going to stay in Polis and be an assassin for Sky Crew because it just felt like I was so convinced that, like, for her... She was like, she was done with Sky Crew, you know, she, yeah. she didn't feel like she fit in. Um, and I think it actually works because you get the feeling, you know, I still don't know. I don't know if she like really identifies with Sky Crew, but I think she really definitely identifies with like certain set of people that she cares about, you know. And she's basically just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, you know, to protect those people, to protect their interests. and. um, and yeah, so so that was like a really pleasant surprise to see that.
2: I've always loved, um, even though we, you know, we get comparatively little of it, but um, I'm a huge fan of the Kane and Octavia relationship dynamic. You know, I like, I mean, starting back in, in season two, when she's fighting the grounders to kind of, you know, impress Indra, and he's the one that kind of picks her up and hauls her inside. And you can sort of see him looking at her like, you know, that he's, he's seeing her in a new light. I think that he's, he sees potential in her that other people don't see and he's really the first of the adults that kind of um that that gains her trust at all you know she's she has no reason to trust anybody you know of the adults from Sky Crew. and and so the so they're kind of their little connection and then and then really fleshing that out um a little bit more in season three where she's kind of like his you know his sneaky little spy um I just you know I I like I like the kind of parental dynamic I like the fact that he um he trusts her that he sees things that she has the capacity for, you know, he sees her for who she is. But I also am really interested in in watching um, you know, when she kinda like she kinda goes off the reservation a little bit in this one. I think she's she's um obeying his what he wanted her to do, like a little too literally and, you know, graphically and violently. So I'm interested in kind of watching to see how um how their relationship progresses, you know, in in terms of him, you know, I think kind of realizing how far gone like it, we're clearly meant to understand from that sort of final look that he gives her, you know, that he has figured out immediately what I think definitely Echo and Roan have also figured out that the sort of mysterious death of, <laughs> you know, of this guy was, you know, was clearly like Octavia did that, you know, on, on her own. She, you know, like he didn't tell her that she kind of went rogue. Um, So I love, you know, and I, I'm with you, like I, in my head, I was thinking, you know, coming into season four, the two, <laughs> the two characters that I was the most salty about what I anticipated their arc to be and was sort of ready to not enjoy were Octavia and Jaha. And now I'm like, so fucking hyped for like, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. I'm just like, i like, 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 I'm so happy to be wrong. Um, because I love, um, I mean, I, I love her being, you know, like Ambassador Kane's kind of like, you know bodyguard um like private assassin, but I also love um you know her like you know sneaking around polis in her hood, spying on people, you know like she she gets to do so much cool shit, um but i'm really i'm interested in in you know when the rift comes that we're inevitably i think heading towards between her and Kane about the choices that she's making um you know kind of what happens after that how does that shape her and i'm also interested in like you know because it was it was it was a little oblique how that moment played out like what does indra really think about this you know like what does what does indra really think about their choices that octavia is making because it was a little you know when she tells her that she killed pike and i and indra kind of gives her the little nod like all right you know you follow the rules, um but i i just wonder, you know, i wonder if she's becoming the person that Indra was training her to become or if at some point even Indra is going to be like, girl, slow your roll.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am here for Dark Tavia. It's like, next season on Post-Apocalyptic Arrow, it is Marie Abderopoulos starring as (laughs) Octavia Queen. (laughs) Listen, I, last season, I came up with something that I thought was clever, which is called Blaking Bad, okay? (laughs) And I met Bellamy last season, and obviously it's transferred to his sister. And I, you know, listening to you guys talk about Octavia, one of the things that I, despite the, um... Differences that Bellamy and Octavia have gone through and beating each other up uh, emotionally and physically. I think that she stayed in Polis because of Bellamy. Bellamy is still her family. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. And I think she's very,
1: very acutely aware that, you know, like like Octavia understands exactly what's happening. She's very acutely aware that. She needs the alliance to stay intact, the coalition to stay intact in order for Asgarda to, you know, Roan to stay in control so that all those clans don't turn around and go to Arcadia and kill her brother, you know, um, and her and her other friends. Like, I think you're right. Bellamy is number one, but I think also, you know, Clark and Raven and Jasper and Monty Um I, and I don't think she's really – like I said, I don't think she really cares about the Sky people per se, but she is like, if I got to stab a dude in the ear with a meat <laughs> skewer to keep him from fucking things up so that, you know, the army marches to Arcadia and my my, my people, like, my specific people don't die, then she's, she's going to do it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, which I just, like – yeah i'm i'm down with Darktavia. like i just and and maria agarapalos just like does such an amazing job like that that like quiet intensity that she has i think is just it's working um but i also like i really i i thought it was really cool i mean there's like there's kind of like i think it's interesting right there's like kind of a little bit of a power struggle um like an unspoken sort of power struggle happening there or that gets introduced at the end when she does that with, between her and Cain. Because like, because she's supposed to be his, um his like, her, his heavy, you know, she's supposed to be his muscle, right? Um, and she just goes rogue and does this, takes this really extreme move, which is explicitly what he didn't want, you know, that creates a situation that like, he has to deal with. Um, because she single, you know, like, uh, uh, unilaterally decided that that was the best thing to do. And, you know, you get why she did it, but at the same time, like, that's, you know, like, if there's a chain of command and he's in tr- like, that's, like, kind of treason-y. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, if Echo did that, you know, like, think about, like, if this was Echo and Roan, because I think there's, like, there's a lot of parallels between Rome between, Echo and Roan's relationship and Kane and Octavia's relationship, and then also just between Octavia and Echo. Like, if Echo did that, you know, like, Roan would have her executed, probably. Like, that would be the automatic thing, you know? So so it's it's a really, really huge thing that she did, deciding to kill that guy um, and taking that into her own hands. On, like, multiple, multiple levels. But I, I hope that that – I hope that, you know, next episode – we see Kane not just kind of counseling her about, obviously like counseling her about her sort of like dealing with her emotions through just killing people, but then also just dealing with like, you know, like this is why you you don't get to just decide what's the best thing to do on your own, Octavia. Like here are all the ramifications of this thing that you decided to do
2: that we now have to try to deal with because someone's going to figure out that guy got murdered, right? I think one of the sort of ticking clocks that the episode sets in motion is just sort of you know, the alliance is already so, like, tenuous. You know, like, the the hold that Ron has over the clans and of over any sort of semblance of peace. You know, like, the whole... Ron's whole arc in this episode is basically about, like, um, trying to see, you know, is there any diplomatic solution to keep the clans from basically trying to, like, mount a coup that saves him having to fight in solo gameplay, which he will absolutely like, lose and get murdered, you know? And so everything's already on really unsteady ground. And and Octavia, <laughs> Octavia's way of helping <laughs> may, <laughs> may turn out when, like, inevitably, you know, this is traced back to, you know, either to Sky Crew or to her specifically, end up causing more problems, you know, than it, like then it resolves because it's gonna you know it's 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 one more sort of you know factor in this sort of political instability and then also it leaves an opening for like who is going to be the next ambassador from Toshana crew if it's going to be Ilion, who's the only other person from that claim that we've met although it would be sort
1: of bizarre like if that happened that would be like so the like rando kid who just rolled up in pulled all like political
2: experience yeah
1: (laughs) we're just gonna be like yeah you seem like a good ambassador but
2: (laughs) yeah we'll see (laughs) the scene where Kane and Octavia first come into the throne and they're talking to Rhone um and Kane tells him like you know like you were right about Trishana crew like they were one that like Rhone kind of had his eye on that like this like this clan could be trouble for lots of different reasons Mm. and and Mm -hmm. so the the power vacuum in that clan of like who is their new leader how does the death of their leader make them feel about you know, being part of this alliance, like I, it, it just seems like we're setting up for them becoming a real factor in, you know, how the ever-loving hell is a king who can't fight in solo gameplay supposed to hold this alliance together, you know, yeah. w- without telling anybody about um, Prime Fire and the actual reason why they have to ally with Sky Crew. Um,
1: speaking of Roan and uh, his difficulties. Although this is that was a terrible transition, I just want to say another person who's like really nice to look at in this episode is Echo. (laughs) Cosine, there's a lot of hot, deadly ladies happening in this episode. Those pants,
0: those leather pants.
1: Those leather pants, that fight scene, I was like, "Woo!" Yeah,
2: my my sexual orientation is leather pants clad lady with sword. Like, that's like, that's what it is. Like, I am. That, that's I am not that a that euphemism simple. either. No, no, that's yeah, just exactly. straight up. I'm that gay. <laughs> I, we talked about this a little bit last time. Like, Echo is a character who last season I didn't, and in season like in season two and season three, um. I, I didn't have particularly strong feelings about her, except that, you know, she sets some plot things in motion, you know, and so in, in season two, we feel positively towards her in season three, we feel negatively towards her, but I didn't feel particularly strongly (laughs) um, about like her as a person, you know? Um, And, um, and then we went to Unity Days and we met Tazia and now I'm like, I'm so invested. (laughs) (laughs) She, because
0: she's disarmingly awesome. She's so Yeah, she's awesome. awesome. Yeah. I mean, she's this tall statuesque model with these amazing eyes, and she's so sweet. And now she's playing this badass that you sort of want to root for, even though she's a traitor and a bitch. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> accurate? Like, yes, yes, accurate. But, I, you know,
1: like, we are getting a better sense of, I mean, I think the last couple episodes, I get a better sense of, like, you know, we're, like, understanding who Echo is. Like, why is she such a heart out you know like why is she just so like just kill him already kill him kill him kill him you know it's like before I was just kind of like why are you all about the murder all the time and now I think we do get a (laughs) we do get a better sense that she really you know that she was like a real like really truly genuinely loyal to his mother you know like 100% bought into Naya's way of being the queen you know like bought into Naya's like uh, kind of like political theory about how to keep people in line, which is basically just to like, like, um. Well, Rowan says you know that people were afraid of her. Um, they or they feared her, and she, then uh, Echo says because she was fierce. You know, so it's like and that was a kind of interesting like moment, to sort of see the play like the different perspectives. You know, and I think. And you can see how, uh, you know, for for Echo, because Echo was, like, she was the queen's spy and she was the queen's, like, assassin and she's really close to the queen, you know, so she's kind of, like, identifying with that power and she, she benefits from it and and she's sort of, like, bought into that system. And I think that's one of those moments where you can kind of see, like, the time that Rowan spent away from Asgada, you know, maybe, like, out, out in the world, kind of, like, seeing... The effects of his mother's um way of ruling rather than being in it. Um, so like it, it was just kind of like a cool sort of contrasting moment. But I think we got a better understanding of why, or at least like we got a reason why she keeps pushing for this. And it's not just because she's like, fuck everyone who isn't gonna kill them all. I mean, it kind of is, but like there's a little bit more, you know, like there's a kind of like origin story to that, um, to that attitude that I that I think was was interesting. Um and then obviously, you know, in that moment when she uh, – when when Roan did tell her about um, the prime Fire I think, which I thought was really interesting that it keeps, like, leaking out to people slowly. Um, when she she begged him to let her go spy in Arcadia, which is, like, one of those things where it's, like, clearly a setup to get her to Arcadia. Um, <laughs> so that she can, you know, be in the storyline with Bellamy so yeah. that – so that she can fuck shit up. But she can you know, also so that her, like, her, you know, sort of, like, xenophobia and Arcadia first – can be challenged. Um but but I thought it was like kind of like I I I, le- I really like how they keep having people be skeptical of the end of the world story, like in a logical way. Like of course Echo wouldn't believe that story because of course that's the kind of story that Sky Crew would make up to save their asses. You know? we're right, 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 yeah. Just like of course Bellamy didn't you know wasn't like automatically like, oh yeah, Ali was telling the truth. He was like, we should maybe have Raven check on that first cuz Echo didn't take the chip, Echo didn't experience the city of light. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't in there like she didn't really yeah. So so she has like no reason to to believe this stuff. And she I think you know, you can tell like she's she's a spy, right? So she's always paranoid. Um so I thought that was like really I was kind of cool. And I, I I look forward to that storyline. I look forward to her sort of like awakening into this kind of like whole other world of truths that she's been really um sort of insulated from yeah which is you know it's kind of weird it's kind of interesting to think about like like such a like strong and confident and and like commanding and um and and stabby <laughs> person being being kind of sheltered but in a way she is kind of sheltered you know and that she hasn't she hasn't experienced the world outside of this one kind of point of view very much. So,
0: yeah, I'm excited about Echo. I am, I am too. too because of the Bellamy of it all. I think it's fascinating given their history in Mount Weather, uh, that she was a traitor, uh, you know, in season three. And then at the end of uh, 401, when she, I was very surprised that she asked him if they could trust each other because she's the one who sort of, you know, screwed everything up. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and yeah. is very yeah. stabby and murdery. <laughs> <It's>
0: like- <laughs> <laughs> and... Even if it was a device to get her to Arcadia, I'm looking forward to two things. One, her reaction to seeing the arc and the technology. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And two, you know, what is going to happen with Bellamy? I don't, I I really don't see a romance, but I see it being very interesting in terms of the future of them working together. I feel like more than Rowan, that Echo is the linchpin. I think so too. I think so too.
1: And because I think, you know... I don't know. Echo's really fascinating. And I, and I don't know if I could put my finger on why, but I get the feeling that Echo's the kind of character who, as soon as she is convinced of the problem, she will put all of that energy and passion and commitment and drive that she has into helping them solve it, you know? Um because, I guess because she is just, like, so, like, whatever is the thing that she feels like is the best thing to do, that that, that she feels like she, it's her duty to do, she's, like, so, so committed to it. So, like, <laughs> Rowan's the king, so she's committed to Rowan, you know? Right. So, yeah, so I'm really interested to, to kind of watch that encounter. And especially, you know, to have Bellamy re-encounter her now that he's kind of he did what he did in season 3 and he's like come out the other side of it and and now regrets it and is processing he's beginning i think to understand and process the reasons why he did it and i think that echo i th- will sort of make him confront those reasons in a new way you know um and i th- and and i think they could really sort of help each other break out of kind of like ways of thinking about themselves and the world that they have had that are no longer no longer really work, you know. So I, I just like I'm really fascinated by that dynamic, and I, I agree with you, Joe. I don't think it's I, I don't really see that going romantically particularly, but, um, but it's like a relationship that I'm really sort of like looking forward to seeing more of.
2: Right. Something that I think is really has been interesting about, um, the last couple episodes in, um, both in in Echo and then just kind of in the um sort of expansion of the world is we're getting we're getting a much richer portrait of, um. Of Asgata than we got really in season three, and I think part of that is like, like you said, Aaron, like us getting a um, an understanding of why Echo is loyal to Naya and why she kind of believes the, the things that she believes. But an interesting kind of, I guess, like kind of secondary piece juxtaposition to that, um, comes all the way across the storyline, you know, in the farm system plot where we see. Um, the Ice Nation people who have who are you know invaded this farm station and have moved in there, um, that they have a really they have a much more complicated relationship with the notion of like Rowan as their king because they don't really see him as being like pure as Gaeta because he was gone for so long, you know, and so so Rowan being this kind of like you know in a way that sort of like Lincoln was this kind of creature of both worlds, um, and how you know like the there's even within as who who are introduced to in season three as, this kind of like homogenous block, you know, like that they're all just yeah. like, all murder all the time, you know? And, right. and, and now I think we're getting a really, we're getting a stronger picture that, um, that they're really not, you know, that they're that there's a lot, even, even within just Roan's own clan, there are a lot of forces sort of pushing at like, um, instability and you know making things sort of more complicated you know and and echo i think i think it's really interesting to see whether echo coming out of her little asgata only bubble um is sort of being in the outside world with other, other different people changes her in sort of the same way that it changes roan but my feeling about echo is like once once they reach a point where she, because like her, her primary allegiance is to her people. And I think once they reach a point where whatever it takes to get her there, where she realizes that actually, yes, the thing that she has to do to help us, Gaeta, and help her people survive is jump on board with what Arcadia is doing, then I think she's going to be like ride or die.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's right. As soon as she's convinced that that's what needs to happen to keep her people keep people going or keep people alive. Yeah. She's going to be like all in. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Claire, would you like to take this opportunity to scream about cabbie for a little while?
2: Oh boy. I sure would. Thank you. I, um... <laughs> My feelings here are, are threefold. So, um... so so, part one of this is I just need to just sort of straight up do some screaming about how, like, <laughs> like, I just, I love this relationship. I love those two characters so much. I felt like the, I mean, it was just like, it was, it was hot. It was beautiful. It was so amazing and moving. And I was just full of squee flail. And please don't ask me to tell you how many times I watched that scene because it is an embarrassing number. That is a lot, but, um, so, so just on, the, on one just pure shipper trash level, I was like, Beside myself with with the fact that like a that it happened and B that it was so well executed and just was full of loving feelings and wonderful and whatever blah yeah blah, blah, you know. um <laughs> on on a, on a sort of secondary level underneath um, I I do shut up there. <laughs> I hear you laughing at me <laughs> it's a laugh of love I know I know <laughs> it is <laughs> um I I actually do feel like one um one thing that. We don't it doesn't always I think get included in the conversation when we talk about this show and representation. I think it's really I think it's a bigger deal than a lot of people realize that we have a show that has like adults in their, you know the actors are in their 50s, um, playing characters in their 40s, um, who are allowed to be fully sexualized, especially for Paige. Um, especially mm-hmm. for, for like women women over 40 being and mothers also like like characters mm-hmm. who are mothers women who are mothers um being desexualized or um you know if they're in a romantic storyline that it's played in a sort of like you know you gross teenagers don't want to watch their parents having sex kind of way um is sort of I think what you expect from a lot of teen dramas and so I I, I think I really want to give them credit for um for how sort of Progressive and thoughtful of a choice it is, both to invest so much time and effort. I mean, they've really nurtured this relationship from like from the very beginning. Um, it's been this sort of beautiful organic growth, and and so it was just a, so it was exciting and again, like on a sort of flaley shipper level to see it, you know consummated like this but it's also you know the way it was shot um like lingering so much on their skin on their bodies it was like very you know it was so like it was just wonderful and i think that that's like you know it's awesome because it's just like this is a great sex scene and it's really hot but it's also important because of like who these actors are and and how hollywood and how television and how like network television for teen shows tends to treat um the characters who are mothers. um yeah, so so I just I think that's I think that's an important thing to say to give them credit for that. And then on this sort of like, um on a kind of narrative level, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting and important about this is like you know, like on a <laughs> um it there's there's no <laughs> there's no plot reason for Abby to stay in polis and not go back to Arcadia with Clark and Bellamy except to have sex with Kane. So like, (laughs) I mean, again, on, on Flaily level, I'm all for, but narratively (laughs) it's like, that's her storyline in this episode. I mean, and cause what we see from the trailers and everything from next week is that she's really entering in a big way into the science technology medicine storyline as like Dr. Abby, you know, but, but so, but so in this episode, her whole arc is about her relationship with Kane. You know, Kane has sort of a secondary arc with Octavia with the politics stuff, but Abby, Abby is there for the relationship with Kane component. And the reason I feel like that's so significant is because so much of you know their two scenes together um, is about her moving on from Jake, and with a really I think sort of particular and specific emphasis on Jake's rings. And I think part of the reason why. In this episode specifically that matters so much is that this is like this is a really i think beautifully jake griffin heavy episode you know we get Mm -hmm. so many references in the other half of the storyline um with the arcadia stuff from clark from jaha from raven um you know people talking about what happened to jake how he died you know these reminders that like the story was kicked off for us in the beginning by jake's execution because he had discovered a threat to humanity that he was keeping secret and so um the parallels to what clark is dealing with right now are all over the place and so i think um you know i think having kane that really that just like beautiful moment where abby is kind of like awkwardly hesitating a little bit about putting her rings back on, you know, and, and which sort of indicating. So like, she took the rings off to have sex with Kane. She puts the rings back on to go back out into the world. Like, so that's, there's like a story in that, you know, um, like her relationship with the rings is kind of already shifting, but then we get him being the one that puts them back on her saying, Jake is a part of you. Um, and part of why I think that's really beautiful and significant. And, and I think adds a big piece of narrative weight um, to that storyline for Abby is that I think, what we're getting in the Arcadia storyline is all the ways that Jake is a part of Clark, you know, so reinforcing that, like, like all the ways that Clark has pieces of her father, all the ways that Abby has, like, um, you know, that that she holds Jake within herself, and that whether she's wearing the rings or not, that he's a part of her, you know, part of her life. Um, my only real, I I guess, sort of, um, and not a negative, but my only guess the thing I, I would have liked to have seen more of is the scene at the end where they're saying goodbye feels sort of weirdly like truncated. Like it felt like maybe it cuts very abruptly and she doesn't say anything about the rings. And so my only kind of like, you know, this happened last season with Jasper taking the chip too, where you have a character who makes this sort of like monumental decision that completely changes the arc of who they are as a character. and And if we don't get to like see the moment where they make that decision sometimes there's pieces of that backstory kind of missing so like and i think you like you and you can get there like with jasper and the chip you can get there you can understand like why he did it and i'd be taking off the rings it's like it's set up for us early enough and subtle enough that like we get it we get it um but it is something where i feel like hearing her say something about it hearing it acknowledged um you know or even just sort of like a little bit more of like uh um I, yeah, just something something a little bit more textual besides just, like, he notices it and they, I mean, they have that kind of... And, and they both do a lot, like, non-verbally. You know, like, there's a lot in the eye contact and, and they're just such beautiful actors. But um, so that's my only little place where it's like, I wish we could have just tapped a little bit more at, like, her getting to say you know like this is why i made this choice um but other than that i i am just i am just a puddle of feels about kane and abby and (laughs) i am just so in love with our love and feeling lots of things and i would love to now hear what you guys have to say about it (laughs) i i like i like that they finally
0: got together i think it was really earned not mm-hmm. to say that other relationships on the show have not been, but I feel like everyone is rooting for these two, who in season one were not necessarily our heroes, right. Um, who've both been put through the ringer and hell and back, um, and have interesting redemptive arcs, and they are respecting the youthful leadership now and working with them. And you know what? They deserve love, goddammit, and they got some. Yes. And you know what? No one's going to begrudge them for that. The world is ending. Whoever gets some from the next six months or two months, you go. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Get yeah.
0: It. I just get I do <laughs> I do agree Claire that the touchbacks to Jake Griffin were very sweet and significant throughout mm-hmm. this episode not just with the uh Kane and Abby scenes and we'll get into it later but you know Raven and Jasper there are a lot of mentions to Clark about her father and not necessarily in in necessarily positive ways but it really is startling to see Clark Griffin in, in the beginning of season 4 in the same position as her parents that she's turning into them but for the better in terms of her leadership.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I can't remember if I said this, um, if we talked about this in the part, Claire, that you and I recorded that got saved or if I said this during the part that got lost before. But I I do think, so, you know, you're saying like the only reason plot-wise Abby is in Polis's to bang Kane, which is which is plot wise <laughs> true and beautiful. Go for it, Godspeed. Yeah, no, I mean, like you know, we all want we all want our, our sex to be plot relevant, but what is it, also the entire plot? Then that's good too. Um, <laughs> I think that makes it count as porn, uh, but I do think that Abby. I mean, I, I think that there's a little bit more. I, I think there's more going on for Abby in this episode than just banging Kane. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: um, I mean, like not not in terms of plot, but I think that one thing that this this episode does not just for Abby, but for all, almost all of our characters. Um, but I think Abby, you notice a little bit more because she's not doing anything else. But I think what this what this episode does with with the Jake references, and then also, like, so the two th- things that we, besides Banging Cane, I'm just gonna keep saying that. That's banging actually the working
0: cane. title, second title of the episode Banging Cane. Banging Kane. <laughs> oh my God, Aaron
2: has her sound effects back. Kill oh, me no. now.
1: <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot. The first podcast where I had the sound effects was was the uh, trailer podcast. And so I told Claire that when we started talking about her speculation about when Kabi would have sex, I was going to play that you sound did. effect.
0: You did tell me that, and I forgot about it until just now. And, then, and did I did you? too. And then I looked up at the thing, and I was like, ballpark, sex. Okay, let's go. Okay, wait. Uh, is that because she finally rounded rounded and got home and slid into home? Is that why? bro. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Thank you. Oh I think she hit it out of the park. I
1: think she did. I think she did. Um, I could make some other much less appropriate jokes about bases and things, but I'm not going to do that. So, um, okay, where was I before that went off the rails? Uh, anyway, so, so the reason that she's in Polis besides banging Kane.
0: <laughs>
1: last one, I promise. Um, <laughs> so we get the... You know, we get... The rings, we get talk about Jake, which is a reminder of who she was on the arc and who she was when this when the story began like that. Those are all reminders of like, here's the event that kicked off this story. You know, here's here's kind of like the backstory for Abby Griffin and and some of like the kind of like uh, like really formative events, you know, like losing Jake. And the kinds and the the sort of things that happened in season one as a result of that, Um, these are all sort of like core aspects of Abby. And then we also the other reason that she was in Polis, I mean, there was another plot reason that she was in Polis, and that was because she was staying there as Roan's doctor. Um, And so I feel like what we were getting with Abby with that stuff is that we were really like what they were doing is they were reintroducing us to Abby as a character. You know, this was like a kind of moment where the show was going like, all right, you know, like, here's where she started um here's who she is who's who she was at the beginning her kind of like core here's her like main her other main sort of skill set identity is as a doctor um and we're also and, and with kane we're sort of reminded of how far she's come and how different she is now but we sort of got this like little bit like you know cliff's notes abby is like uh what happened to jake being a doctor clark you know getting back to clark and now kane and so um so i think that that her being there also did work as a nice way to kind of like um set a new starting point for Abby like this is where she is emotionally this is who she is these are the important attributes of her as a character going forward and I you know and I do love that that like Jake is a part of that you know that they remember like the stuff that happened in season one there's like major events like these are still playing in they're gonna maybe like kind of similar things are gonna play out um but I think we got that if we want to like transition now to Arcadia, um, because I think we got a similar kind of like reintroduction to, um, to a lot of other characters. Like, I think for, for Clark, you know, some of those Jake references for Clark, obviously the Jake references for Clark are very, very plot relevant as well. You know, like it's, it's oh, yeah. they keep coming up because it has to do with like what's going on. But I think with, they also f- kind of function in a similar way where they're re- reminding us you know, like, this is who Clark was, this is the event that happened that landed her in the skybox, that landed her on the ground, you know, that, that was, like, and then an, you know, it, possibly a more formative event for her even than for Abby, that losing her father and the reasons yeah. why it happened, the way that it happened, like, this is, this is huge for her, it's an enormous part of who she is, is her sort of feeling of, like, of, um, of who her father was, you know, and what she would have done in his shoes and what she tried to do for him. Yeah. Um, so so I think it was like we got kind of a similar, like we were being reintroduced to who Clark Griffin was. And then also through that, you know, that kind of like sets up as with Jasper and and Raven, the way that they kept throwing those things at her, it, it allowed us to see also nicely in contrast who she is now and how she's changed. So it was like a reintroduction to Clark, like, okay, this is who Clark Griffin is now at the beginning of season four. And this is who she and that like who that identity is here's how that relates to and sort of contrasts with who she used to be at the beginning Um, and I think we got a little bit of that with Bellamy as well we kind of got like reminders of like you know core bellamy you know like you put him in a room where there's a little girl who's gonna die (laughs) like 100 of the time bellamy is going to save that little girl like every single time he's not her sister but she is his responsibility you know like if there are people that bellamy like in front of his face he's never not gonna make that choice um and and you know and i think we got like You know, so so that's like the core Bellamy. I think we saw some of the ways that that changed in terms of his confidence in defending that decision when he came back and sort of just like owning up to the consequences of it and saying like, yeah, that's a decision I made. It has these consequences, you know, like um, as well as his sort of you know, even even him sort of like listening to feedback from or listening to the cases being made by the other people on his squad and the kind of like way that he was the, the tiebreaker, but it was a tiebreaker, right? You know, he's kind of listened to both sides. So you see him kind of like emerging as a leader, but, but, you know, like in contrast with season one Bellamy, who was hiding things from people, who was lying, who was manipulating people, not, you know, listening to them, not like sort of he's he's evolved even though that core of compassion and heart will always mean that i think he will always make that choice you know he's sort of evolved away from that so um yeah and i think you can see a little bit of that too with raven you can see a little bit of that too with jaha so it's we kind of like this this episode i think one of the reasons that i love it so much like it moves the plot forward but i think it also just really like in a lot of ways this is an episode that just kind of pauses a little bit and says like all right We're going to like reestablish who these people are, what's important to them, how they make their decisions, why they make their decisions, the emotional state they're in, the needs that they have, you know, like we kind of like got to relearn them. So we have some, some feeling for what the kind of emotional stakes and character stakes of all of these events are going to be.
2: You know, something we talked about uh, a little bit when we were um, recapping last season, like one of, one of the things that I think gets got gets lost when you try to cram in sort of too much plot is that you're, you know, you have all these sort of you have high stakes plot pieces moving around the chessboard. But the thing that makes you feel those high stakes is the emotional investment in these characters that we love and how the big things that happen affect them emotionally and their relationships with each other. So it's not like, it's not just that like the apocalypse is coming and it's terrifying. It's that we're seeing um people's kind of true selves come out we're seeing relationships get closer we're seeing relationships fracture um around that that has nothing to do with like the cool badass special effects of acid rain we're gonna get it's about like you know sort of nihilist jasper and about like clark recentering herself as a leader like in the face of this thing that's happening um and i and i think just to sort of to to ping back to the um uh to the jake thing for a second i think one of the things that's really beautiful about clark in this episode that i i think i think they made sort of textual and clear in a really poignant way that they haven't done before is that we saw all of these different ways in which she is both her mother's daughter and her father's daughter like yeah know, it's, it's so yeah. moving like where where she's um you know where the you know the the choice that she makes at the end is kind of a little bit of both of them um and the things that she does along the way you know she has abby moments she has jake moments um and i and i think that you know we watch her really have to kind of take a hard look at this perception she's always had of herself um that i think is really based in this kind of naive assumption that she had when she was on the arc before any of these things had happened to her that she just sort of Blind faith in her dad's, you know, goodness and rightness makes her think that A, of course he's doing the right thing. There are not two sides to this. And of course I want to help him and would do the same thing if I was him. And so watching her have to kind of, you know, ask those questions of herself now that she's in that situation, um, and the parts of her that are that are Abby, who has a whole different approach to problem solving, like seeing Seeing the ways in which she's both of them and, and thus like, you know, she's, she's not doing what Jake would do. She's not doing what Abby would do or or what Jaha would do or what Kane would do or what anyone who is in that situation before on the arc did. She's doing the thing that is only Clark because she has, you know, sort of both of these sides in her. And I just like, um, you know, like as, like as somebody who's lost a parent and, and thinks a lot about the ways in which You know uh, a parent that you're close to who died like the ways that you are and aren't like them but also in this very like um in this very strange way where like when you when you love somebody that much you can't always see them clearly you know like I think I have I have a clearer sense of the ways that I'm like my mother and the three-dimensional person that she was now that she's been dead for nine years than I did when she was there in the room with me, you know, because, because she's my mom and I loved her and I couldn't, I couldn't like, I had no narrative distance, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So I feel like in a way, I think it's interesting to see, you know, both in her conversation with Jaha in, in those moments, like Joe brought up some of which are kind of ugly, you know, with both Jasper and Raven kind of referencing her dad in some ways that are kind of calling her out for like, you know, you're not doing the thing that your dad would do, you know, um, and, and she isn't because she's, I think, you know, the the gray area didn't exist for her then when she was like, you know, my dad wants to do this thing. I think it's the right thing to do. And so I'm just going to, you know, she was she was ride or die. You know, she was her father's daughter. And I think it's fascinating as sort of a setup for what her arc is going to be over the course of the season and also as a way to keep really present in our minds how shaped she is by this loss and how shaped she has been by this conviction that she carries that she would do the exact same thing in her dad's shoes. You know, she really, she was really angry at her mother. You know, she really pushed her away. And we see in this episode that she's clearly holding on to some, you know, the same feelings towards Jaha for for what they did. And so watching her... Evolve into being able to see, you know, um, not that it will ever be okay with her, but understanding that there were two sides to that question in a way that she didn't understand before, I think is a really, is a really big moment for her character evolution.
0: I would say, you know, I'm, you know, one of the presidents of the Clark Griffin fan club. Mm. So I'm going to (laughs) start, I'm going to start with that. (laughs) Um, And I'm completely biased, but I... This is Clark Griffin in season four. And granted, not much time has passed since they landed on Earth, but this is a Clark Griffin who has lived, loved, and lost. Uh-huh. And that uh-huh. all uh-huh. three have informed who she's become. I am a huge fan of, I'm not apologizing. I am going to be a leader and I'm going to co-lead Clark Griffin. The, you know, Bellamy, Clark and Raven. And then you add Monty in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the fact that this, this Scooby gang is back together and the brains in that room and you have resolute emotional Clark. And you know, it's such an interesting dynamic with her and Raven. And we'll get into the princess mechanic of it all very soon. (laughs) Cause we are all for here for that. Oh yes. But I just, I'm really enjoying Clark this season. And again, I love her in every season, but I think, they made an important they wrote and and eliza brings to the table a growth that was necessary for what she's been through and on a completely um comical level can we talk about the fact that she's no longer wearing the post-apocalyptic corset (laughs) (laughs) and she finally has a new sweet blue henley with her blue jacket girlfriend
2: either took a shower or at least got some new clothes yes I, i think her hair looks like she took a shower Erin, tell Joe your thing about the, um, Clark and her costume, because I always think your analogy for it is so funny. Please. Oh my god, okay,
1: so, (laughs) so you know in season three, when, when she gets the new outfit, um okay so like that that scene always cracks me up because the way that it i I don't remember what episode i think it was stealing fire was the episode because that's the one where she's like trying to steal the flame and run out of polis and she's uh and then and at the end like she manages to convince titus to give it to her and then as she's leaving he's like he's like here's the flame here's the like notebook and then he says and he, he opens up like this giant wardrobe and there's all this like all this, all these clothes <laughs> in there. And he's like, and this is the commander's armor, choose your pieces and go forward or something like that. And I just like lost it because like that moment, like there's no reason for that wardrobe to, like there's no plot reason for Clark to change her clothes. <laughs> like there's no, there's also no particular, like there's a really reason for that moment ever to happen except that they wanted to like put... Clark in a new outfit for whatever reason <laughs> and like and I the reason that like it was so funny to me is because what it felt like is like if you're playing a video game like especially like an, a role-playing game type video game like that moment happens when you finish a level and you just beat one of the big bosses and like you know you like you just beat the 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 boss and he's dead and there's like you know kind of like celebratory screen and then the little thing pops up and says you unlocked commander armor plus five strength plus five wisdom minus five like sadness plus six uh strength plus flame add it to your sword um so like it felt very much like this moment where I was like cool I unlocked a new level and I can like put my character in a new outfit if I feel like it because this is like a nifty little like thing that they throw you to make you feel good about having beaten that level
2: Titus is like the NPC who's like, congratulations, you've unlocked Flamekeeper. <laughs> like,
1: exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining because she wore she, she wore Lexa's clothes fantastic. well. Oh, yeah, yeah. He
1: looks great. I mean, yeah, no, like, I, I was a little concerned because I, you know, like... It looked awesome. That was one of the, the corsets I was always like, is it pinching your boobs? Because that seems like it would be... Yeah, cool. I, yeah I
2: feel like my, my position on corsets is really conflicted because like on the one hand, I, I'm really gay for women in corsets. But on, the, <laughs> but on the other side, as like as a person who understands how television is made, I'm like, you're spending 12-hour days... Like in in the thing where it's like, can she sit down? Can she eat? Like, is she miserable? Like, I'm just like, like on on just a very yeah. primal level. I'm like, I'm like, my boobs are concerned for Eliza's boobs. <laughs> I'm, yeah.
1: also, I'm not really clear on how that counted as armor, like. You know, there was like large portions of her body that were not significantly protected by that corset. Although I suppose perhaps like maybe it might be very important. I think it would probably be very important for commanders to have good posture and it would be good for that. You know, like it keeps your back straight
2: posture like Lexa Lexa was amazing posture. Lexa like like the, the corset was like implied. Well, you know, like maybe she wore it as, like, a
1: kid to, like, teach her to have that good. So she didn't need to wear the corset anymore because she wasn't in yeah, posture yeah, yeah. training. She didn't fucking
0: need it. Yeah. For Clark, it's just hashtag good earth cleavage. <laughs>
2: <It> <laughs> that really is true. And I, is you know true. what? And, like, that makes it, like, that makes it hard to be mad.
0: <laughs> I don't think anyone is.
2: No.
1: She's, got, she's still got some good earth cleavage in the Henley, but it's true. It is not as good yeah. as the uh, corset cleavage. R.I.P. corset. maybe she kept you somewhere for special
0: occasions but also
2: hashtag free eliza's boobs yes yes that is true i don't
0: think eliza has any problem freeing her boobs (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna say (laughs) that and by the way that's not an insult we're friends i'm being funny yeah yeah yeah.
2: (laughs) Oh, I love her. <laughs> Can we
0: talk about Princess mechanic?
1: Yes, yes please. please. Oh man, what I am so happy. I'm just so happy to have those two have significant screen time together again this season. Because I just,
0: yeah. I mean, let's talk about Raven.
1: Yeah, I've never been angrier, by the way, at Jaha than when he interrupted the princess mechanic conversation. Like,
0: that was a bridge too far. I think that the girls were just as annoyed as you are. I think so. Like It's like that annoying drunk uncle who comes in in the middle of your game at Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh my God. Well, I mean, Raven, it's so interesting because, you know, what we love about Raven is when she first gets uh, in touch with Bellamy, it's like, yeah, 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 don't tell me about this. Is Clark okay? Are my friends okay? Yes, yes. That made me so happy. They'd still choose each other first, yes. first of all. Yes. Oh, Second yeah. of all, arguably, Raven saved the day with the you know the the hatch that she created for Clark to get out of the City of Light. Mm-hmm. I, not
1: arguably, like actually. I mean, yeah. Like, how many yeah. times would everyone be dead if it weren't for Raven? So, I mean, every too many season. To count. Every yeah. season, season.
0: multiple times a season. Right, and you know, as much as um. Clark is somewhat aware of what Raven went through because she was there when she was possessed on the bed and being a truth teller uh, when she was <laughs> possessed by Allie I feel like you know obviously they haven't had a lot of time to talk they don't really know I mean Raven for all we know has no idea about Lexa let alone her relationship with Clark um, And but she's still yeah. Raven wants to know if Clark's okay because she did help her get out and she assumed she got out of the City of Light And and then, but she didn't know, actually know for sure no and then once they are reunited it's not like a big huggy huggy girl time it's like let's get down business because this shit is burning and yeah she she still has a little bit of it's interesting is raven i think is the most relatable character in terms of her pain and overcoming it and how how she hides it in order to function but we know underneath it all what's happening and i feel like that resonates with people uh, of uh, on every walk of this earth. And so to see her insecure this episode, to sort of be resentful still of Clark's leadership, but then understand that she has a huge role with their people, and it's not just about their people anymore, that the bigger picture is saving the earth. I feel like Raven this season is also embracing her leadership and working together with Clark and Bellamy is only going to make it that much stronger.
1: Yeah, I thought it was really like, it was really poignant that moment when, you know, she said... I'm not Sinclair, I'm not the chief. You know, like that. I I was glad that they mentioned Sinclair, but it was also like a very poignant moment for Raven. You could sort of see her her um feeling unsure of claiming her authority, you know, yeah. like like she's got a little imposter syndrome, which is one of those yeah. things which is like also super relatable. Mm-hmm even though it's like one of those things like i feel like raven i think i think you're right she's and she's really relatable too because she's like such an amazingly brilliant person like just raven is just like the most amazing person you know in this universe like every time i watch the the episode in season one where she's introduced it's just oh my god like that moment when she takes the helmet off you're just like oh my god i didn't know i was waiting for you all my life but (laughs) there you are
0: oh my god Um, that's so true (laughs) (laughs)
1: um but uh, but she has this core. I think she really has a core of insecurity. You know where she she didn't really. I, I think she and you can understand where it's coming from in her in her background. You know where she had a mom who was not really like there for her, who didn't really care for her, and she kind of only had Finn. And there's like that li- like little core of kind of like where she's a little unsure of herself and she's not totally secure in her in her own in her own value and her own you know, her own, like, kind of, like, authority. And so so I just, like, I like that little moment, these little moments where we sort of see her being hesitant or uncomfortable to kind of, like, claim it. And Clark's response is awesome. She's like, well, I'm not the chancellor, but, you know, we know what we've got to do. Here
2: we fucking are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is kind of, like, the perfect
1: thing where, like, Clark's like, yeah, no one elected me either. It doesn't stop me from being in charge.
2: <laughs> I love that moment. I loved the, you know, the, the reinforcing of the fact that, like, they're both... um you know, they're both sort of thrust into these positions that they didn't ask for and, you know, and having to kind of make the best of it. And one of the things I'm really excited about in this new arc, they're clearly setting up with like Raven having to, you know, I mean, like I, I'm so sad that Sinclair died because I love him so much, but I also feel like... um I think it makes a lot of sense that the moving of the pieces around to get Raven to this place where it's like, she, she has to be where the buck stops. She has to be the senior person, the only person who can do this with no one, like no one's coming to save her from having to make these decisions, you know? And, and there's always been, I think what's interesting about Raven's character, um, is like, she's, she's so fantastically brilliant, but she's a, um, her her relationship with these people and the things that she brings have been so shaped around like, you know, somebody, and we said this last week, you know, like somebody gives her a problem and she solves it, but she doesn't go out and find the problem. And she's not looking like she's, she's not, you know, like the leader team comes to her and says, Raven, here's what we have to do, you know? um, And, and so I think in a, in a, in a different way than Octavia, but I think slightly somewhat related, there can be, I think, a tendency on the part of some of the characters who aren't um Clark and Bellamy but I think specifically you know towards Clark to um to judge the choices that they make as from their own perspective without without having been there in the room having to make that choice um and I think that it's going to be really interesting for Raven to step out of um of kind of being being the hands and having to be a person who is like you know who is who is leading you know leading a team or leading a project or or you know like on her own without without any kind of guidance necessarily you know um so i'm i'm interested in kind of how how that shifts her relationship with um with clark and bellamy and i also really um i think one of my favorite things about the the little the little brave and lark trifecta um sort of the their glorious return of the brave and lark leadership squad it, <laughs> in this episode is that i um, i think that they did a really a really deft and not kind of hitting you over the head with it way of aligning clark bellamy raven with jake abby jaha you know and yeah. and and that and 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 it makes perfect sense On a level I would, I would never have thought of before, you know, like Jake and Raven never interacted. They didn't know, you know, like we, we have, we have no link between Jake and Raven, except, you know, they're both engineers. They're both science people and science people make decisions a particular way. And so the, um, the choice that Jake makes, being, you know, the same choice that Raven is advocating for based on the same reasoning. When you hear it out loud, it's like, oh, this makes perfect intuitive sense, you know? And, um, and then the Bellamy and Abby parallels, which are just so strong and I think are going to get even stronger when they're back in the same storyline, you know, next week about we save who we can save today. Like I can't look in the eye somebody who is, in danger and not make the choice to save them. Whereas like the scientists are making decisions based on science, based on math, based on numbers. Um, and Clark as the Jaha in, in the middle with both of those things coming at her from both sides, trying to figure out what decision to make. Um, but so I just, I, I loved, I love that little throwback both in terms of sort of just cause, you know, again, another Jake mentioned, but also as a way to kind of illuminate, um, like you said, like the way, the way that Raven makes decisions. And it isn't that she is, um, less compassionate or that she wants people to die it's just that her brain works in a completely different way
1: right she's thinking about like statistical possibilities. she's thinking about you know like
2: probabilities and outcomes and you know capacities and and what we're seeing i think that's really that that is again like really understated but sort of beautiful is like bellamy and clark have more Faith in Raven's ability to find a solution without the hydro generator than Raven does. Raven is like, (laughs) we we need this thing or else I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. You know, and both Bellamy and Clark in separate ways make choices that basically, you know, like that Raven is pissed because she's like, well, now you've tied my hands. you know, like, now I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. But they both feel like, I mean, they, they only would do that because they trust her. They have this faith in her brilliant genius brain. Like you have six months, you will think of something we had to save who we could save today. And so there's something I find really moving in, in what that says about their faith in her capacity to solve this problem.
0: I just love Raven so much.
2: So much. Oh my God. She's the best. Because she's
0: so human and flawed. Yeah. To me, yeah. That, to me, maybe it's that just, she just resonates that way as I feel like there are parts of Clark. I wish I had in me, but I relate more to Raven I literally am sitting here podcasting in my Battle Scars t-shirt um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because i on days and weeks when I maybe have had an off day or a, a negative experience I actually put on this shirt and it helps me on a psychological level I love level. that oh
2: that's, that's wonderful I, I remember when I uh, in September I, I did this um, this thing that I, I you know, I've seen on Twitter where I um, there was sort of a bunch of conversations happening on Twitter about like representation on the show what does it mean and so I asked people like I just sort of tweeted out like you know, send me like who who are the characters on this show that you feel and, and and on any level like not just people of color LGBT but like in any way that provide representation that's emotionally important to you you know like like where do you see yourself on screen in this television show um and um and like and like three hundred people resp- I was amazing it was like I was an avalanche but the number of different like, like not just like the sheer volume of people who said Raven, but the different reasons why, and the different things about who she is that they keyed into. Like, like people who have lived their whole lives with chronic pain, and and really felt like this is a really accurate depiction of what that looks like, you know. And um, and the emotional impact that it has on you, or um, you know, or people who had um, you know been through the trauma of trying to recover from an injury, and and you lose you know and even even if you recover and you're okay again that there are things that you can never do the same way and it sort of haunts you you know or um you know and and the depression of that or dealing with or trying to deal with grief by finding wanting to find a way to kind of like erase it you know like like the relatability of Raven's choice to take the chip um and you know and not just the fact that she's you know that she's a latina woman that she's such a strong you know female character in the most in the most best you know interpretation of that. And not just that Lindsay herself is so outspoken about how important that is, but just like all all the different things that make Raven Raven, um, I think it's really extraordinary. Like it was just it was really it was very it was very emotional for me, like sort of reading these deeply personal things people were sharing, like about I mean about all these characters, but like her in particular, like so many people, she's there there is something about her that makes you feel that emotional connection that makes you feel like really um like that she's that she's relatable you know and and drawing strength from her strength and I think that that's like I think that's a really extraordinary thing that the show has done with so many of these characters you know is that like they you know there's there's a real world impact from having characters like that on television um like you know like when we're when we're talking about tv shows we're never talking about just tv shows you know like that's why this stuff matters because yeah. you, know, yeah. you watch it in the real world
0: For what it's worth, and I think this is obvious, Lindsay is very keenly aware of the impact that Raven has had uh, globally.
2: It was really kind of remarkable.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I sort of get goosebumps just thinking about what people have said. And I I love to read other people's tweets and responses to her. And um, she is a genuinely lovely human and so charitable and strongly believes in supporting all the communities that are touched by her. And, you know, similar with Eliza. And I'm sure everyone is. I just happen to know those two. And I know that she takes it to heart. And she does try to read messages. But as you know, it can be a cesspool. Um, (laughs) Depending on when you log in. Uh, We'll leave it at that. But, um, yeah, I think that... uh, everyone out there is in support of Lindsay as a human and and Raven as a character. And, and, you know, we talked about Devin very briefly, but I think it's important that we do talk about Jasper because,
2: you know, it
0: seems to me that I think that Devin's doing a sort of spectacular job uh, with what he's, what, what, what Jasper's going through this season, which is everyone, has PTSD manifest in a different way. Yes. Um, You know, I can completely relate to someone who uses humor to hide pain. And I think that Devin, uh, you know, is sort of living on the line between humor and honesty uh, with his performance as Jasper. And I think, I think it's great because he's not just a clown. He's not like Murphy with the sarcastic one-liners. The people who know him are genuinely worried about him for a reason. And I think that he's doing an important job this season of you know, we are all on the edge thinking he's going to kill himself. Um, but I'm of the mind, and maybe it's just wishful thinking, that he, if he does die this season, I hope it is in sacrifice of someone or a bunch of people to save his people.
2: That's what I think, I hope too. so, too. Yeah. I, I think it's really unlikely... I mean, I guess we never know, but it it seems so unlikely to me that they would make suicide the beginning of his arc and the end of his arc. I feel like introducing it in the premiere to me indicates that that's again, like, hopefully, um, that that's his starting place and that and that whether you know whether he ends up dying or not, whether you know Devin is still on the show or not, we obviously we won't know until you know we'll know what we know when we know it but um but if he does if that is where you know if if he does die i i do really feel like the um the direction that it seems to be heading is he's starting from this kind of fuck it all nothing left to live for sort of nihilist place and that he's going to i would hope um through his relationships with you know i would assume with monty at at you know at the least and maybe some others too um you know kind of re find again some motivation to like be back on the squad and be sort of an active participant, you know? And, um, but I, but I, I really, you know, he was, he's, he's so funny in this episode, but in this is really like dark unsettling way, you know, where you're like, he's so happy. It's nice to see happy Jasper, but he's only happy because he thinks he's going to die in six months. (laughs) Well, well, yeah. And we
1: talked about, I mean, we, we talked a bunch about Jasper on our podcast last week and I talked about how how important the way that they depicted his emotional experience was to me, you know, as somebody who has who has been depressed, gone through multiple bouts of depression, including recently, and, you know, and, and how, how like the kind of cycles in and out of different like manifestations or moods felt really real to me. And I think this is another one like that, where it's like that kind of um, sort of like outward look that's sort of like outward look of happiness that is masking something sort of darker inside and then uh just also i mean i think we talked about this on the podcast last week the kind of like the difference between pleasure and and joy or meaning when it comes to depression because it seems like this is another week where jasper is definitely pursuing pleasure Right, right you know he's like i'm if i'm you know, like he's sort of released from the having to choose his own death, you know, like he can just kind of let it happen. In the meantime, he's going to find ways to like sort of have like feel- pleasurable feelings until then. You know, he's going to like, he's going to get drunk and he's going to take a shower and he's going to sing songs that he's that he likes, you know, and he's going to kind of like, and he's going to joke around and he's going to sort of like try to like keep that, that feeling. But like, I think the kind of the, um, the sinister aspect of that is that we know because we know Jasper and because also because like Devin is like just I mean killing it like the like he's managing to convey these two levels simultaneously, which is really hard. We know that that it's just this kind of like hedonistic pursuit of pleasurable feeling and it's not like a pursuit of like meaningful joy you know like he's not pursuing connection you know like he's not he's not really connecting with Monty like even that cute little exchange with Monty it ended with him being like hey get our drugs out of farm station (laughs) you know (laughs) like I want another I want another way I want another thing that's gonna help me feel something other than my feelings basically
0: yeah he wants Monty to think he's fine
1: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which also is like super relatable if you've ever, you know, if you've ever like suffered from mental illness or depression or PTSD or anything like that kind of like, like, so like that was really relatable for me because like, you know, I, I, I like telling people in my life recently, like, that I had been suffering from really bad depression over the last year. I've had, like, so many people say to me, like, oh, my God, I never would have known. I never knew. And I'm like, because I didn't want you to know. Because, like, because it's easier to, like, put on a happy face and and chat happily and make you laugh and, you know, to, like, keep you at an arm's length so that I don't have to be vulnerable, you know, or, like, confront the stuff that I'm actually feeling. So I think, like, that exchange with Monty was definitely very, like, Yeah, yeah, no, we're cool. I'm singing. I'm, you know, I'm not going to kill myself. Hey, get me my weed. Like, it's kind of like funny on the surface. But what he's doing is he's pushing Monty. He's he's not letting Monty see what's really going on with him. Um, And, yeah. And then then when, you know, the conversation with Clark, I think we kind of see – like that—that that is like such a, a cool, like a really interesting and and sort of like almost disturbing conversation because like because the smile on his face and the tone in which he says things it is is in such contrast with the nastiness of the things that he's saying, um, you know, in the very like very like conscious and targeted way that he's like he's lashing out at her, yeah. which I think is another thing that's very true for people who are who are suffering from great pain. You know, like another way to try to deal with that or sort of try to relieve that pain, of course, like this is what people do sometimes is that they try to the, like, the, like identify what, you know, the weaknesses or the painful, the things that are going to cause other people pain and they cause those other people that pain in order to you know because because it's some sort of relief because because then other people are feeling what you're feeling you know and it's like it's like a it's like a sort of a really uh like a really fucked up way to not feel alone because you're making other people be with be with you in the pain suffering if that makes sense
2: yeah um
1: so i think there's like an element of that in his uh
0: interaction with clark too well he'll never forgive her for mount weather um you know as much as Monty is complicit, you know he's going to forgive Monty before he forgives Clark. Yes, and I think yes. what's important for the hundred this season is establishing and reestablishing Monty. Jasper and Harper as individual characters with individual stories because, yeah uh, you know, there is a lot of, of Monty and Jasper and with good reason. They're awesome when, you know, whether they're fighting or whether they are just being bros, I think that they really, you know, up each other's game in terms of acting. I think Chris and uh, Devin are uh, just a great combination. I, yeah. I'm looking forward to, you know, we got a sense of it. I know you guys talked um, uh, about going to the farm station, but you know, I'm here for darker green. That's what I call it for Monty (laughs) because he did basically have to kill his mother twice. And he did almost lose Jasper and he knows he might still lose him. Um, and he is in a new relationship, which, you know, the world is ending good for him. So that being said, I feel like it's important to still establish, um, Monty's response to from Mount weather on Mount weather and mom, the city of light, Jasper, um, getting into this relationship with Harper, but also, you know, what his role will be in saving the world, which I strongly believe Raven and Monty together are going to yes. save the world. Science bros. Science bros. <laughs> um, but also, you know, Harper, uh, Miller yeah. and Jackson. I'm looking forward to, and now that they're all back in Arcadia, um, I'm looking forward to learning more. I'd like to learn more about Harper's backstory or how what's informed her being a part of the the only female on the guard with yeah. Bellamy and company. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of interesting character development that we don't know about there.
1: Yeah. And I love that she that we got the, that she sort of called back to Mount Weather, you know, that we got this little hint that yes. her being in Mount Weather, her experiences in Mount Weather and the relationships she forged there and who did what for her while she was there is, like, really, really deeply formative for her. Like, that's her reference point, you know? Like, yeah. I've been locked up and afraid.
0: What I like is that, you know, Bellamy lost Monroe, who was very loyal to him, and they were bros. And, uh, you know, it's – and now he he, doesn't, he didn't lose Octavia, but Octavia's out there being murdery. And so <laughs> Harper, you know, is like a, a little sister or big sister to him in some sense. I think that yeah. they have – a very mutual respect for each other and that Harper is the kind of person who isn't judging Bellamy for past mistakes or decisions is working with him for a better future.
1: Yeah. I think it's a good way of putting it that she's, she's sort of being, defined by
0: that loyalty to some extent and Clark too to an extent Clark, because so yeah. Yeah. Clark and Bellamy have both made horrific decisions um you know sometimes without a choice and so we can all agree that the co-leadership of Clark and Bellamy everything is better when they're co-leading together yes. despite despite them butting heads they're never going to always see it eye to eye but it's nice to have them back you know at unity days The entire cast talked about how it felt. this season feels like season one, and we get that now. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Like, totally. I mean, with the explicit callbacks, but then also just the sort of vibe, you know? Yes. Yeah. The Clark and Bellamy, like, co-leader team being sort of, like, clicking again. And I do love that Raven is sort of now a foil to them. Like, I think it's really, really great. You know, it's, like, kind of perfect that as Raven is emerging into her own... Her into into as a leader and is sort of like learning to own her authority. That of course she's going to clash with them, you know, that she's going to start pushing back against them because, like, and it's kind of interesting the way that like the Clark and Bellamy as a unit, like, they argue with each other, but they're always kind of a united front to others, right? Um, and so it's kind of cool to see like Raven as the foil to that united front,
0: right? She's not having any of it,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I just like. I I don't know. I think I think honestly thinking about it because like I was telling I think I said last week I've said this many times before that like I always really really love characters who aren't instantly impressed with Clark Griffin because Clark yeah. Griffin is like amazingly impressive but like it's just so much fun because she doesn't know what to do like with Anya she's just kind of just like uh I don't know what the next. if you are not like instantly dazzled by me I don't really know what to do with myself yeah. like what's I mean, the Roland next is step? the
2: same way like Roman and Echo <laughs> yeah yeah so, so but it's funny because
1: I was thinking about like how much I love like absolutely love Raven pushing back against Bellamy and Clark. And I think I just really love foil characters. Like I love Luna for the same reason. Like I adored Luna last season because Luna was the perfect foil to like the kind of like ends justify the means uh, morality that basically every character in the show had been, had bought into the entire time, you know? So like the instant that she showed up and was like, uh, no, I reject your reasoning. I was like, Oh my God, you're the best. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so I think the, I just really love the characters who, like show up and they're like uh no actually no
0: that being said my, my beloved Clark Griffin gave an amazing what I like to call live together die alone speech yes. in Arcadia yes. Yes. and for those yes. of you who watched Lost drink I made a Lost reference <laughs> because you also made a Lost
1: reference with the Dharma van earlier so I
0: did yeah. so drink twice so uh, it's, a, it's a given no matter what podcast I'm on I will talk about Lost <laughs> hello if you know me that's not a surprise I digress but uh, you know she this Despite some people resenting Clark and the decisions that got them where they are today, they realize that they're sort of uh, in better shape with her as their leader. And so they, they do listen. When Clark tells Raven to, you know, gather the troops, she does. And yeah. she's basically, you know, I like that we're not just going to survive, we're going to thrive. Okay, so she was fudging a little, um, but, but I, I do like the line. Lying. I don't think she was lying. I think that she, I mean, like maybe,
1: but did she outright lie? She just made a promise she doesn't know that she can keep.
0: Right, well, because Raven was saying, you know, we could basically save 100 people tops, and Clark's like, all of you can be saved.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I, mean, I read that, I guess I, I think we talked about this in the other part, but like, I think I, I kind of want to read that more generously and uh, for to Clark and be like, she, I, I, you know, it's like, I don't think that she was like outright lying, lying. I think she was... Yeah, she was making a promise that she didn't know that she can keep. But I, I really believe that she, like, hopes very, very, very hard and is going to try very hard to keep that
2: promise. For sure. To me, I feel like it's an Abby Griffin moment. It's it's, uh, her, yeah. it's her saying Oh, okay, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to say the thing that I want to believe is true. And then I'm probably going to do a shit ton of really crazy things to try to get there. <laughs> but I, but right, I also exactly. understand. But I have no evidence to back this up, you know. So Right, 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 right. You know, Abby is saying, like, the kids are alive on the ground. And it's like, well, we watching television know that. But you know who doesn't? Kane has <laughs> no reason to believe you. You know, um, and so so I think that was so one of the things that I that I like about that speech where it does really feel to me like it's it's Clark at that peak Clark where she's part Jake and part Abby, is is that she um she does tell them part of the story, you know, she doesn't um You know, she doesn't do the Jaha thing where, you know, like, like silencing it completely. You know, she she clues them in on on here's the crisis that's coming, which is the thing that her dad wanted to do. So she does the Jake part of it. But then she also does the Abby part of it, which is the like, I'm I'm going to be guided by um you know faith in you know in the ability of these people to find a solution you know and and faith that this that what i want to happen which is for there to be a solution that saves everyone and not just like arcadia everyone but like everyone everyone you know can still be found and that she doesn't want them to lose um that that hope and that motivation you know i think i think she doesn't want them to all end up like jasper yeah and it's interesting too because i feel like i think we talked about this in the other part, but I think, like, this is the perfect sort of, like,
1: quintessential Clark Griffin. Like, nobody else could have made that decision or made that speech but Clark Griffin. And also, right. like, the quinti- like the perfect – and, and the, part of the reason why it's a quintessential Clark Griffin moment because it's the perfect synthesis of all of these different voices that she's been hearing and that she has in her. So, like, yeah. So, like, definitely – those are the, that's, like, the Jake and the Abby side. But I think, like – so, her hope – she has faith that they're going to – that they, they can find a solution – so I feel like so so that that's the Raven voice. I feel like that that faith that she has in Raven that a bit like that she's always said to Raven like you can do this. You're gonna do this, you know. Like like that that Clark is the leader who motivates by believing in you so hard that you believe in yourself, you know. <laughs> uh, which I think that what she's done with Bellamy and Raven, you know, like. She believes so hard in Raven's abilities that Raven does things that Raven didn't know that Raven could do. You know, she believes so hard in Bellamy as like a leader and as a person who's important that he can do things that he didn't know that he could do. Um, But I also think like there's also a little bit that part of that decision is like she has faith in the ability of people if she gives them hope and if she gives them motivation to be able to find a solution. But she there's also that cynicism. She doesn't have faith in them not to freak out if she tells them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. All right. You know, and so and I think that's a kind of like harsh lesson learned through experience, you know, so like and and so that like Bellamy's reluctance to tell people is because he has experience with bad shit happening when you tell people things, you know and and she does too, and so, um it, you know that that kind of like formative experience uh, experience in season one, episode four with murphy, you know and and the and uh wells's murder so i think um so so her decision to sort of like say what she as much of the truth as she needed to motivate people and conceal it as much of it as she needed to in order to give them hope like that's a piece of her that is forged by these other experiences and by her like sort of co-experience with bellamy and also just like clark's willingness to be a little bit manipulative you know to like to to be selective with the truth to get the best thing done. I mean, like that that's the same kind of thing when Bellamy was in Mount Weather and she didn't, and she lied to Bellamy about where Octav- about Octavia and Tandisi, same kind of decision. You know, that's that that's like a very quintessential Clark Griffin moment too, which is, I don't know. Like I love that last, that last moment. And I love that speech. And I love that decision because it's all just so like, Thrillingly, Clark Griffin, like in the yes. good and the bad. Everything about that, that whole speech, that whole decision is every good, wonderful part of Clark Griffin and every one of those traits of hers that is, that has, that is like less good and has caused trouble in the past, you know? That same thing can be said for other characters in this episode, you know? So, like Bellamy is the same thing, you know? Like Bellamy's decision in the farm station is the best of Bellamy and the worst of Bellamy, you know? It's like, uh the that's that's his his heart being the biggest heart that he has and it's also very short-sighted and is gonna you know cause problems um and even raven to some extent you know like raven being the best raven but then also you know in some ways um with with her greatest strengths and her greatest weaknesses
0: and i think that's like that's just such fantastic writing of character that it just makes me so happy i was just going to transition a bit to murphy because ah, yes they did, you know, he wasn't uh, in this episode, and you know they did these photos from the next episode. Sorry, spoiler alert! That show Murphy <laughs> in uh, medical with Abby and Jackson. Wow.
2: Murphy and Abby reunited. I'm so excited. <laughs> that was my my favorite. I would never in a million years have paired these characters together like, surprise from this season finale. And I just love that the ensemble is big enough that all you have to do is, like, shuffle the deck and put two totally random characters together for the first time, and then all of a sudden, everything is like, wait, what? Murphy, Abby? Right. <laughs> Murphy, Abby working together? <laughs> now I need this, like, air, And they're going to? I'm so excited. Anyway, continue. No, that's okay. I mean, we don't know the circumstances
0: of why he's back, and, you know, if Imori is with him. To me, I am fascinated by Imori, and I feel like she's yes. a very, very large chess piece in the outcome of saving the world. And why? Because she's... She trades in technology. And who yep. needs technology? Yes. Raven. I want Raven and Imori to work together. Me too. Yes. So because so much. I think two very strong, stubborn women with very different, vast experiences could come together in a meeting of the minds. And also, you know, last season, they did reference that Imori had a, a trade dealer who was interested in the technology for the City of Light. So there is an unknown person or yes. group out there who yes. might also have technology they need to save the world. Yes, and
1: she knows where to find tech. Like, if they need parts, yep. she knows how to source them. She knows the locations in their territory where that stuff can be found. Yep. I think, you know, we're, I, I still am pretty certain that we're going to wind up in Becca's lab at some point. And mm. I, betcha, I betcha the way that they know how to find Becca's lab is through Imori. I think mm. at the very least, she'll know how to find the drones. Because, like, that's what she said last season is that Allie would come to her with through the drones, and that's how they would, you know, like, be contacted to sell things to, to get tech to Allie that she needed. So I betcha, like, if they figure out they need to find the Becca's lab, and they they know that, like, the drones are the way to do it, then Amori's going to be the person who's going to be able to, like, like, know, okay, go to this location, this is how you, like, make contact. Or maybe she's just been there, I mean, I don't know, but, like, she's the person in this world who would know.
2: Well that's my it. that's my guess about where they're all going on the boat. Because if you look at who's on yeah. the boat, it's like it's the it's the medical squad. I mean it's like it's Abby and Jackson and then um and then Raven is there, and then Murphy and Amore, and then and then Miller's there presumably, you know, like guarding them. But I was gonna say what boat, spoiler alert. Oh no, from the trailer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. <laughs> the trailer that they released in december there is a shot of um and i and i only know this because um every single shot that either abby or kane is in has been aggressively like screen captain hd (laughs) and catalogued for clues by the (laughs) cabbie fandom to a degree that like satchin was (laughs) when we were at the meet and greet at unity days um and i said something to him about how i was like i'm really excited i was like i know you can't tell me anything about like, spoilery about Jackson's storyline, but I just wanted to tell you, like, you know, like, everyone is super excited that, like, Jackson's on that boat with Abby and Raven and Murphy and Amori. Like, Jackson gets to, like, go on an away mission, which she's never gotten to do before. We're super excited. And he was kind of like, oh, I didn't, like... I think maybe we weren't supposed to know that he's like, they kind, of, they kind of edited it to make it not clear who besides Abby is on that boat. And I was like, bro, no, we zoomed in. We were like, we, I was like with our goddamn magnifying glasses, I was Like I can tell you every fucking person on that boat. Wow. <laughs> and he, and, they, and I, and it was like, and he thought it was hilarious, but it was one of those things where it was definitely like, I think that the gap between like how, how the cast thinks that we're watching the trailer and how those, (laughs) how how we, the conspiracy theorists actually watch these trailer and take it apart and zoom in, you know, um, he, he was kind of like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know people knew that. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, we know what you're doing. But anyway, but so my, um, (laughs) but so that's my theory just based on who's on the boat, that it's like Murphy, Murphy and Maury, Raven, Jackson, Abbey um, i I think the fact that they're back on Amori's boat again, that she's like leading a team, I very strongly suspect uh, you know, and then we also see in the trailer both Clark and Murphy, and then also separately Abby and Raven in a place that very much has that kind of blue and white Becca Polaris aesthetic. Um and so so it is so it is my supposition that they end up there um, doing something in, in Becca's lab and that that is a place where, you know, Amori has gone to scavenge things, um, or, you know, but basically that they end up trying to, you know, trying to find it and that she's the one who leads in there. But I, but I, my guess is that that's where they're going on that boat because that would, you know, if they're going to try to develop radiation resistance by manufacturing more night blood from Becca's notebook or something like that, they need all of her stuff and, and Amori would know where that all is yeah okay. so that's like my it. that's my wild crazy theory
1: yes i also another thing i really want with mori and raven who is that is which is a pairing that i really want to see together i want to see them sass murphy together because i feel like <laughs> murphy would feel like really safe you know like mori's there she's on my side but i feel like after about 10 minutes she and raven would turn on him and start dragging him hard and i'm just like mm-hmm. I, I really yeah. want that <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the Murphy Raven, like, they they have not really had a chance to talk out the, like, remember when you shot me oh. and I'm permanently disabled oh, forever. Not
1: really, they, but not also, also. remember when my ex-boyfriend was about to be killed and I proposed turning you in instead. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Relationship status complicated, <laughs> tenuous. Okay, now speaking of
0: sympathetic grounders, uh, because of Unity Days, I've also been wondering when Nyla comes back into yes. the picture. I was thinking that. And we saw, in the, speaking
1: of the trailer, we got there's like a shot of her with Octavia, which is another person along with Luna, which I, who I think could be like a really really interesting foil yes. for for like for Dark Tavia, Nyla, yes. because she's so. She's so calm. She's so, like, you know, her life is so marked by violence, but she seems so anti-violent, so, like, nurturing, caring. Um, So, yeah. So, like, I'm very curious to see how she comes back into the story. And I really, really am curious to see how she and Octavia wind up, like, together. Yeah, they,
0: they seem to be, like, share a look. They seem to share a look uh, after the crazy pants raven uh, scene in the bed in her yeah. trading post. Yeah, I think Octavia and Nyla have a, like unspoken understanding. So I think it'll be really fun to see those two work together.
2: Me too. And what's cool about Nyla is that I feel like I could I could see a deeply plot relevant role for her in either of those storylines both in in terms of of the Octavia and the sort of the the vengeance question and in Octavia's sort of new role as Sky Ripple like I can absolutely see Nyla fitting into that but also like you know Nyla her her job has been not necessarily scouting tech the same way that amori does but like that she you know she runs a trading post she sells things she had those wristbands right. you so know, she knows like-
1: a wide cross like a wide range sort of yeah. cross section of people they, and they
2: come her way that might be useful pieces of technology that she doesn't know what they do or what they are i mean like i could see her fitting in just as well into the other half of the storyline where like is there some piece of tech scavenged from some crashed piece of the ship that ends up at Nyla's trading post, and the grounders don't know what it is or how to do with it, and it's the one missing piece to the thing that Raven needs, you know? Right. I mean, Jess Harmon's just a goddamn delight. Oh, yes. She's so lovely and so funny, and, you know, Nyla Nyla and... um, uh, uh, Nyla and Amori and... um, uh echo are all characters who i i felt like i i liked but didn't um feel like i guess wildly um you know deeply super into their plots last season and then after having met them at unity days i'm just like i want you in every episode i want everything like i like i want to i'm so deeply into those characters joe where can we find you on the internet and what are you up to these days we should be following Uh, You can find me on Twitter at JoePinionated,
0: which is the word opinionated with a J in front of it. And also I run a charity called Cancer Gets Lost, where we collect entertainment memorabilia and get it signed and auction it off for various cancer charities, including uh, I work very, very closely with a lot of the lovely cast and crew of The 100. So I uh, often feature items from this beloved show in my charity auctions. And you can find me on the Dropship The 100 podcast very, very
2: occasionally. And you guys are going to be doing some interviews and stuff this season. Is that right? Not, not necessarily like regular weekly podcasts, but you're still going to be doing some season four stuff. Correct. I'm trying to line up some interviews right now. Fabulous. Cool uh so so that's it for this half of the podcast you will um here in a little bit we're gonna um, attach on aaron and i after we recorded with joe last time um and then joe had to go and we recorded a section ourselves where we talked more about clark and jaha and the farm station storyline so this is going to be a fun exciting adventure in editing um (laughs) (laughs) the important thing is that everything gets covered at some point somewhere
0: Exactly. Yes, exactly. I and I would just like to say thank you very much uh, for having me on to talk about the show with you. I am, you know, we had such a good time on the panel together at Unity Days. And I just love that, you know, the majority of the podcasters for the 100 are female. It just seems fitting. Yes, it does. A bunch of really smart, badass women uh, talking about television in an analytical way. It just, I love it. And you guys are terrific. And I really do uh, genuinely appreciate you including me.
2: We well thank you so much you. for having us yeah.
1: yes it's, it is a delight you are welcome back anytime I just might <laughs> Yay. yeah so whenever you get that itch you just tell us I yes. want to come on this week we'll be like okay, okay.
2: <laughs> All right. uh, thanks for listening everybody and we will be back next week for episode 403 which is called what is it called the oh, Four bangin- it's
0: called banging cane banging
2: cane <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> All right.